this Histories and Mysteries. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jessica. And on this week's episode, Ashley will be talking about the story of Cindy James. Yes. Which is very misleading the way she said it to me earlier. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to be talking about some really funny stories throughout history. Yay! (laughs) That's good because this story is that's uh that's a doozy. Yeah, I felt bad for like doing a lazier episode because I'm just um I'm using a BuzzFeed article, but we've had a lot of doom and gloom lately. We have. <laughs> and I read the first couple and I was dying laughing. So <laughs> I figured it would be a good break. Yes. In the horribleness that we've been going on about. We have had a lot of doom and gloom, haven't we? Yes. And I have some, so <laughs> I work at a dental office and my coworker, Maddie, she has a book full of dental jokes. Oh, so I'm going to be sharing a bunch of dental jokes later. I love it. And they're all from Madeline and I love her. And she's like, she's my little, she's one of my favorite coworkers. She's oh, amazing. that's very nice. She told me to say that. <laughs> I did pass our podcast name along to one of my patients today, though. Ooh. So that was funny. Well, if and you're I'm listening, like, patient, hello. Yes, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little paranoid about it, but I, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't tell us their name or give away any of their medical history, we're fine. <laughs> Definitely will not do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, I had a really great, I know this is like kind of off topic, but I had a really good day at work today. It was nice. Oh, God. Good. Yeah, I had some really fun patients today. It was nice. Oh, that's always good. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, let's get on to the the doomy and gloomy. Yeah. So um, if you've ever been afraid of kind of like harassing and not really stalking, but kind of stalking, this is not the story for you. Great. So I got my sources from unsolvedmysteriesfandom.com. No. Yeah, it is unsolved. Sorry, guys. Oh, you uh, I know. <laughs> uh, Wikipedia. All that's interesting and stories of the unsolved. And I know we just went through it talking about how much we hate unsolved things, but the story is really crazy. Uh, I think I saw, maybe I saw a TikTok on it. Or something on like Facebook, and I was like, "What? This is insane!" So, okay. Um, I also just want to take a moment, uh huh, and say how proud of I am of you. Why? Because you were already researching your story when I reminded you that we needed to record. <laughs> <laughs> So that tells our listeners a lot that you're <laughs> proud of me for that. <laughs> I am um, a bit of a procrastinator. Uh, I thrive on that last minute deadline time. Oh. So uh, if any of you can relate to that. <laughs> well, let's point out that she's also a working mom, has a newborn and a toddler. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) And you have a podcast. I have a podcast. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. I'm just proud of you. You're doing great. Oh, thanks. I'm hanging in by a by a thread. <laughs> well, we'll hang on by threads together when I'm there in Yay. a couple months. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. I am like so excited about it. <laughs> Me too. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to take her to anybody in this um, area or who's been in DC. I'm going to take her to some of the Smithsonian museums and it's going to be a good time. See the Washington Monument, all that good stuff. Can we see Cleopatra's needle? What? What's that? Cleopatra's needle? Yeah, what is that? It's that big, like, that big tall thingy with the point at the top. That's the Washington Monument. Oh, okay. Why'd you call it Cleopatra's needle? Because that's what they call it. I've never heard of that. Un momento, por favor. It's called the Washington Monument. So upon further research. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a little pause. <laughs> uh, Jessica's not crazy as I thought she was, and I'm sure a lot of you thought she was. Uh, <laughs> it is a real thing. She found it in London, and it does look a lot like the Washington Monument. Yep, it sure does. You questioned the history, girl. I did. I did. Peckin' rude. Peckin' rude. (laughs) All right. Let's go on with this. Anyways. So, uh, uh, Cynthia, a.k.a. Cindy James, was born June 12th, 1944 in Oliver, British Columbia. Oh. Yes, Canadian one. Uh, Her mom was a stay-at-home mom, and her dad was an English teacher, and he was a former colonel in the Royal Canadian Air Force. Uh, She was one of six children, uh, went to high school in Ottawa because of her dad's involvement with the Air Force, so she ended up going to high school there. But apparently her dad was super strict, and they said he was a fan of corporal punishment, so take that for what you will. Oh, no. In 1962, Cindy decided to enroll in nursing school in Vancouver, and during this time, her father re-enlisted in the Air Force, so the rest of the family went off to France, but since she was in school, she stayed in Vancouver. Um, But she frequently wrote letters about nursing school and how she was doing and, you know, all that good stuff. In the summer of 1965, Cindy met Roy Makepeace. Roy was from South Africa. He was a psychiatrist and he was 18 years older than Cindy. Uh, This age difference did not make Cindy's parents too happy. They felt that Roy was preying on Cindy's naivete and gullibility. I thought you were I thought you were gonna say that he was 18 years old and he was a psychiatrist. I'm like, damn, <laughs> he's a genius. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's um, a little bit more uh, <laughs> Yes, that makes a little bit more sense. Um, I'm not really sure what they thought he was like trying to get out of it, I guess. It's not like she was super wealthy or like he was using her in some way i don't really know what they but they didn't like it he didn't just like her um (laughs) i think i think he did but the parents didn't i'm saying like i didn't get why the parents thought that he was praying on oh okay 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 yeah like i don't really get that but okay um, her parents later testified that the couple had a troubled marriage and the two were at uh, were 
at times, quote, emotionally distant. Who, the parents or the girl, the daughter and her husband? Yeah, the daughter and her husband. They got married? Yeah, I forgot to put that in there. They got married. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Yes. I was like, wow, they went from uh, just starting dating to. (laughs) Yes, they got married. And (laughs) (laughs) Uh, her parents said that at times they were emotionally distant, which like at times, who is it? Right. Anyway, I think they were. Just didn't like him. But later, Cindy accused Roy of spousal abuse. Roy swears that he had only, quote, only slapped her twice throughout their whole marriage. Yeah, because that's not abuse, apparently. <laughs> right. Did I wrote in here, um, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> any Roy, anyway, any Roy, any Roy, <laughs> any Ray, uh, Roy was a super duper winner. Uh, and while licensed in South Africa as a psychiatrist, he failed to get his medical license in Canada twice. So he instead became an assistant professor, uh, uh, at the faculty of medicine and the university of British Columbia. Those that can't do teach. Oh, <gasps> Jessica, that's rude. <laughs> I was a teacher. No. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Sorry, it's a saying, okay? I know. Although I do think it's probably true for some professors, but <laughs> I had some very questionable professors. Yes, same. Like same. one of them basically just talked about her non-existent sex life and her cats, and I basically like almost failed the class because she just like did not teach anything. I had this sociology professor that yeah, was, mine was like mine was sociology. Was it really? Yeah. Sociology professors are weird. Hi, mother-in-law. She's a sociology professor. <laughs> Hell it is. And she listens Helen, to us right? sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um no, but he oh, this was so creepy. So he had a slideshow about something. I don't even remember what it was. And one of the pictures was in the slideshow that like you know the powerpoint presentation for notes or whatever one of the slides had a picture of well he said this next slide is my favorite and it was a picture of a girl who had like she was drunk and she had like fallen down and her skirt had like lifted up over so you could see like her butt like her underwear and her butt and i was like you are like a professor and I mean, he wasn't old by any means, but it was just like That's really creepy. Yes, yes. And like it was, it just, he rubbed me the wrong way. Like I got a like heebie jeebies from him. Yeah. Ugh. Anyways, this guy became a professor. Yes, he became a professor and um, they ended up divorced in 1982. So shortly after their separation, Cindy started to receive very aggressive obscene phone calls the first one was october 7th 1982 and after that the calls kept coming cindy said sometimes they would say things such as uh, i'll get you one night cindy sometimes it was just breathing (sighs) i know 
And sometimes it was silent. I don't know uh, which is worse. I would say, which one of those do you think is the creepiest? <laughs> I think the breathing. I think so too, especially if you, if, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, she said they were sexual or violent in nature. And um, one time she received a call, got creeped out, closed her blinds, got another call saying, there's no need to hide. I know you're in your living room. <laughs> I hate all of that. Yes. Cindy obviously called the police and they came to her home, searched everywhere, but nothing like there was nothing, you know, wrong or amiss or anything like that. Um, so they said keep a list of the calls and what's said in each call and get an unlisted number. After the officer left, Cindy received a phone call that said, You fucking bitch, I'll get you. <sighs> Then on October 13th, two days after the cops were at her house, she got another call that said, so you think calling the police will keep you safe? You wait. I've got my zipper open. I'm talking to my throbbing. (gasps) And then Cindy hung up the phone. Yeah. (laughs) Two days later, um, two days after that phone call, Cindy told police that she heard someone outside of her house at night and woke up that morning to all of her porch lights smashed. You know what is so creepy about this is the fact that a lot of this sounds like, you know, like what a poltergeist would be like. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a human being that can yeah. hurt you. And yeah. That's fucking terrifying. Yes. Yes. Blech. She also reported to police that someone had thrown a rock through her window and had entered her house. On October 19th, she reported that someone had entered her house again and slashed one of her pillows on her bed. All of these threats and violence made police automatically think that it was the ex-husband. Obviously, that's where you first look. We all know that who listen to true crime. (laughs) It's always the husband. Um, But she told police that she didn't think he was capable of tormenting her like this. But then she would tell her friends that he was violently abusive during their marriage so she was kind of saying two different things so who knows you know i'm sure she had her reasons but on october 20th two tenants who lived in cindy's basement said that they heard someone moving upstairs after cindy had left for work and the next door neighbor told police that she saw a man standing outside of cindy's home at least three different times once entering the gate in the front yard she said, but she did say it didn't look like her Cindy's ex-husband, Roy. That's so weird. Yeah. Around this time, Cindy started a relationship with the police officer that had first responded to her case. <laughs> His name was Patrick McBride. And on October 21st, 1982, he moved in with her. At first, it was only for like a couple weeks just so he could kind of get a better feel of what was going on and, you know, look around and kind of protect her a little bit. And a few days into him living there, he found a man sitting in a parked car in the alley behind Cindy's house. When he approached the vehicle, he found that it was Roy, Cindy's ex. Roy said that he was patrolling the area for Cindy's safety and when uh, McBride told Roy that he was living there now, Roy stopped patrolling. And 
Roy was often invited over to their house for dinner and he and McBride would like talk and they kind of had a shared interest in finding who this harasser was. So he was, so I don't, I don't know. Sorry. I had to take a drink. <laughs> Not <allowed. laughs> You can be parched. Parched. Uh, the harassment continued and he found notes, uh, or sorry, she found notes with letters cut out from magazines. Her phone lines were caught, cut and McBride even answered the phone call once and no one was on the line. He said he did hear what sounded like a woman over an intercom and thought maybe the caller was at an airport and they were able to trace this call and they traced it back to an exchange like where you exchange money. Hmm. Um, so there's kind of a dead end there because there's so many people that went in and out of there and all that stuff. So um, he said, he also said that her phone line had been cut in five different places at one point. Um, another time there was a note placed on Cindy's car. It was a picture of a dead body <gasps> lying under a medical sheet. <gasps> And we need to remember that this is the time without cell phones. So they're yes. like cutting off her yes. only form of communication. Correct. Yes. 100%. Uh, correct. Yeah. So McBride eventually moved out because um, he was only planning on staying there for a little bit. But he continued to help with the investigation. During Christmas of 1982, Cindy received a note at her door that said Merry Christmas and had a picture of a decapitated body. Oh. <gasps> How was this not the husband? I don't know. And oh, let me keep going. And we'll okay. talk about it at the end. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so January 27th, 1983, the harassment finally escalated to a physical attack. Cindy's friend Agnes Woodcock went over to Cindy's house and found her in the garage, knocked out with a black nylon uh, black like black nylon tights tied tightly around her neck. Wow. So I read two different things. One report said she heard a knock at the back door when she answered it. She was forced into her garage. One said that she was in the garage when she was attacked. I don't know. Doesn't really matter. But wanted to say I saw two different stories. Um, <laughs> either <fair>. way, she <laughs> said she didn't see it, um, but she did see that one of them had white sneakers. There's two attackers. Um, she also said that one of the assailants, uh, stuck a knife into her vagina and threatened to kill her younger sister if she told the police. Ew. After examination, the doctor said that there was no concrete evidence of a sexual assault, though. Um, she also failed two polygraph tests about it that they gave her. Um... Take that for what you will. It's a polygraph test. We all know they're not great. Take that for what it's worth. Um, she finally admitted that she did recognize one of the attackers, but wouldn't name him because he threatened her family. She ended up moving. She changed her last name and she painted her car. So, you know, it looked different. But the harasser found her. Less than a week after moving, she received another letter that said, Run, rabbit, run. I'll show you how fucking good I am. Soon. Bang, bang. You're dead. Ew. Why are you telling me this story? It's awful. It's <laughs> awful. You have nightmares. Ugh. 
She also continued. What? I just have to say, I had a dream that Brendan Fraser was my dad last night. (laughs) (laughs) I saw another TikTok of him talking about rumors. He was reading rumors about himself and saying if they were true or false. Oh, why didn't you send that to me? I figured you had seen it. Every time I send you one, you're like, yeah, I saw that. (laughs) No. I should. I'll send it. I'll find it and send it back to you. It's pretty Always send me Brendan Fraser. Okay. (laughs) I was saying to Kyle the other day, I was like, I really love that this podcast has turned into a lot of my, about my love for Brendan Fraser and like (laughs) stuff that people post (laughs) and send us as Brendan Fraser related. (laughs) And while I don't love him as much as you do, I am a fan. So I do enjoy it as well. Wonderful. (laughs) I love it. Um, do, 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 sorry <laughs> no no you're fine okay there i am she also continued to receive the calls uh she moved again so she moved a second time but a few weeks after she took a much needed vacation which by the way her ex-husband paid for he paid for her to go to um indonesia which is where her brother was stationed at the time interesting yeah um when she got back, she received a, another note at her house, and it said, "Welcome back, death, blood, hate, etc." Yeah, weird. yucky. So at this point, Cindy hired a private investigator named Ozzy Caban. Caban said that Cindy would wear a portable panic button and had pepper spray with her at all times. Which, yeah, don't blame her. Um. Okay, so this next bit, um, it's not great for cats. I'm not going to get a lot into it, but rewind Mm. like 15 seconds if you hate it. She found. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also fast forwarding. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's what I meant. Fast forward. And now the people that did it at first are like here and they're like, they still haven't said it. (laughs) So fast forward another 15 seconds. (laughs) She found three strangled cats in her garden with ropes around their necks. Oh, no. Yeah. Babies. And oddly enough, in her diary, she accused her ex of destroying her garden. She just said he destroyed my garden. So did she mean like because of the cats? Um, but the harassment continued. She continued getting phone calls both at home and now at work too. Some of her coworkers answered the calls, but said no one spoke on the other line. To be in constant contact with Cindy, Ozzy, the private investigator, gave her a two-way radio. And on January 20th, 1984, he heard some weird noise from Cindy's end. So he rushed over to her house and found her laying in her living room unconscious with a knife through her hand, pinning a note <gasps> saying, uh, now you must die, cunt. What? When she came to at the hospital, she remembered seeing a man coming through the gate, and then he hit her over the head with a blunt object and inserted a needle into her arm. Blech. Doctors did find a needle mark, but she didn't have anything in her system. Uh, one constable who was at the scene said that there was blood smeared in a way that looked as if someone had tried to clean it up. So, are we thinking 
that she did this to herself? Well, that is one of the theories. Okay. Um, I don't know. Okay. I'll tell you my thoughts at the end. Okay, I'm sorry. I know I always like it. No, no, you're fine. All right. So on February, uh, by February of 1984, detectives started looking more and more into her ex-husband because Cindy said she felt he was the one doing it. She finally was like, I think it's my ex-husband, even though she had been denying it the whole time. But Roy had his own theory. He thought that Cindy's attackers were part of the mafia. Apparently, her job treated a lot of children who were wards of the court. And so this was his theory. Well, yeah, because she's a nurse, right? Yeah. And Cindy's dad actually met with Roy and wore a wire. He told Roy to stop contact with his daughter completely. And after the meeting, Roy sent a six-page letter to her dad talking about his theory on the mafia. What a wackadoo. Yeah. On June 18th, Cindy called Ozzy in a panic, the private investigator. When he arrived at her house, she was in her garden terrified. Okay. Um, Did you skip something again? No, but there's some more animal stuff. So fast forward like a minute. Fuck you. I know. It's not great. I'm not going to get into it. Like, I'm just going to say because it's important. So. Um, Cindy was in her backyard, said someone was in her house. When Ozzy looked in, he found her dog had been attacked. Still alive. Doggy's still alive. But the doggy had been attacked and was cowering and had a rope around her neck. And it was the same type of rope that the cats had had around their neck. And there was a note that said happy birthday and had sexually explicit pictures with it. There was a cigarette butt on the basement windowsill that was not the type that Cindy smoked. And this is kind of the bad part about the dog. Ozzy said that based on the abuse of the dog, Heidi, her name was Heidi, um, he knew it couldn't have been Cindy because she would never do what had happened to the dog. So the calls continued. We're just going to skip right past that. The calls continued. And another dead cat was found lying in the stairwell of Cindy's house. And I promise that is the last animal thing. Uh, We'll put a, let's put a trigger warning in the description. I feel like if anybody listens to our podcast, they would like automatically assume. But yes, I can put content warning for animal abuse. Yeah, that works perfect. Yes. Jessica always writes our descriptions, by the way. So if you're loving them like I am, it's Jessica. (laughs) They're awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, Okay. So then on July 1st, Cindy said that two men arrived at her house in police uniforms. But when she contacted Ozzy, um, they fled. The calls continued. One saying, you're dead, bitch. It's going to feel good. A coworker said she received a phone call at work that said, get rid of the big pig. I don't I don't know why they called her that, but in July of 1984, Cindy was attacked again and left with a black nylon nylon stocking tied around her neck and needle marks in her arm again. So police tapped Cindy's phone and sent officers to monitor her house around the clock. 
But after months had passed with no more incidences, they called the watch off and the tap off from her phone. At this point, they had spent a million dollars on this investigation. Wow. It is nice to see, though, like the police doing something. Taking a woman seriously. Yeah. 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 Then in December, Cindy was found lying in a ditch, semi-conscious with another black nylon stocking tied around her neck and more needle marks in her arms. She also had hypothermia because she was left naked wearing only a man's work work boot and glove. This woman needs to move to a different country. Right? So one night, Cindy asked Agnes, her friend, um, and Agnes's husband, Tom, to spend a couple of nights with her just to see if they saw anything weird going on, like maybe probably for some protection, that kind of stuff. And they did notice some weird things happening. Um, a burglar alarm went off. There was a glass window in the basement door that had gone missing. I'm assuming it's like one of those doors with like the different glass windows. Yeah. Um, and on April or in April 1986, the basement was set on fire. Oh, that's new. Yeah. So Tom was the only one home at the time, um, and he tried to call 911, but the phone lines had been cut. He ran from the residence to search for help, and he saw a guy standing on the curb, and he's like, hey, can you call 911? The guy ran off. Great. When the emergency crews arrived, they said the fire was staged. Like, it wasn't an accident, and it was from the inside they said there was no dust or fingerprints disturbed on the outside of the windowsill where the person would have had to go in through um and someone had lit the fires from inside the home and when they asked cindy about it she said she was out walking her dog which they all kind of thought was weird because this was late at night and after everything she had gone through and all how scared she was why would you be walking your dog late at night especially by yourself Yeah. So at this point, she had been seeing a doctor for therapy and he committed her to a local psychiatric ward because he was afraid that she would harm herself. I'm sure at this point after, you know, if this is real, after all this harassment, she was feeling, you know, all kinds of things. And, um, she was there for 10 weeks and This was really weird, too. So one of the reports I read said that they found nothing other than she was mad that the police hadn't thought that she was doing this. Another report I read said that two of the psychiatrists there said that she was having psychotic breaks and staging her own attacks. Oh, like, oh, maybe she has like uh, like the multiple personality disorder. And I read one report that said her original doctor wanted her tested for multiple personality disorder. (gasps) Oh, no. But that's all I could find on that. And I saw those two different reports saying those two different conflicting things. So I I don't know. And not saying that people with that disorder are violent to themselves. Right. It's just it's a possibility. Right. Because she's if she's blacking out and like yeah yeah, and um, what was I gonna say? 
I don't know. Something about... Oh, and this was the 80s. So it's not like they knew a lot about it or had... Yeah. It was a very newer thing. Yeah. Yeah. So... um, Her dad said that she at one point finally admitted to her friends and family then she that she knew more than she was saying um she said that she believed she knew who the harasser was um but she was afraid that they would go after her or her family if she said anything in october of 1988 roy uh the ex-husband received a weird message on his answer machine it was a raspy voice and it said cindy dead meat soon on october 26 cindy came home from work and was attacked in her carport she was later found unconscious in her car nude from the waist down a nylon stocking was tied around her neck and her arms and her legs were hogtied with a second nylon stocking. So how do you do that to yourself? I don't. Like there's so many different aspects of it. Like part of it is in my brain is like that totally could have been her. She could have just been having like the psychiatrist said like a psychotic break, like a manic yeah. episode or something. Um, But then other aspects of it is like, how could somebody do that to themselves? And, like, the neighbors heard things and the people staying with her heard things. But, yeah. like, was that all her? Yeah. Like, was she really in the vicinity or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's just, like, parts of it that's, like, that are so sketchy. Yeah. Um, duct tape was found over her mouth in an attempt to keep her from breathing. She did go into a coma, but she survived, thankfully. She told police she thought it was her ex-husband, but he denied it, and he was even out of the country during one of these various attacks. Um, and in the spring of 1989, she told her family and friends that the attacks were decreasing, the harassing was decreasing, and she was starting to feel better for the first time in a really long time. Then on May 25th, 1989, Cindy James disappeared. The day she vanished, she had deposited her paycheck, um, purchased a gift for a friend's son. She went to a beauty salon. She bought groceries. But then when Agnes showed up at her house for they were going to do a game night, she wasn't there. Her car uh, ended up being at a shopping mall parking lot with blood on the driver's side door and items from her wallet underneath the car. Um, and the groceries and wrap gifts were still in the back seat. Yeah. A few days after Cindy went missing, um, Richard Johnston contacted police after a person called his company to ask about Cindy's life insurance policy. Um, he said the guy on the phone claimed to be her dad, Otto. So Johnston's secretary began giving him information. Um, and then remember, she wasn't supposed to give that out over the phone. So she stopped mm-hmm. and she said, but you can come in and I'll tell you more. And then the person never came in and her dad said he never made that call. Um, around the same time, this was weird. Someone spray painted some bitch died here on a fuel tank beside an abandoned house. Um, 
And an orange line was also painted from the tank to a spot in the grass where the outline of a body was also made. And this is where they would later find Cindy's body. (gasps) Ew. Yeah. No. Yeah. So two weeks later on June 8th, 1989, two weeks after she had disappeared, uh, a city employee found her body in the yard of an abandoned house where that spot was. Her face was completely, the quote is from the guy said, her face was completely black. I think it had been punched in. A cord was wrapped around one ankle and a wrist, he recalled. But police said she had a lethal dose of morphine in her system. Um, And they said that that would take at least 15 minutes to take effect. And a not specialist determined that someone could tie the knots that were on her um, in the position that she was in in about three minutes. But, I mean, it takes me three minutes to tie my shoes sometimes. (laughs) I'm not a knot expert, you know? (laughs) But, like, that wouldn't explain the face. She could have done that to herself. Right. Um, On June 14th, 1989, there was a memorial service held for Cindy and investigators used hidden cameras to record faces and um, license plates. It's like a criminal minds episode. Yeah. And that was about it. That's all they did for that investigation into her death. Um, When the Royal Canadian... Mounted police. Yes. Thank you. RCMP. Yeah. When the RCMP and the Vancouver police uh, publicly said that they were investigating it, um, they all privately, privately believed that Cindy had died by suicide. What? And this leaked to the media and her parents were pissed. Um, so they went to the hospital where Cindy worked to see if there was any missing medication that had been found in her system. And there wasn't, but they did find out that Cindy was known to um, hoard those drugs that had been prescribed to her. Oh. Um. And this is also weird, too, and I'm unsure what this has to do with anything, but I thought I'd throw it in here. The one other thing they did is apparently they spent hours at a nearby Safeway grocery store trying to reconstruct her grocery list, like what she bought. And no matter how they did it or what they did, their totals didn't match those on the store's computer. So like everything that she had in her grocery bags didn't match what the store computer said she had. Okay. And I don't know what that means or if that's important, but it was say, what does that have to do with I'm not sure, but I thought I'd throw it in there. You know, okay. Maybe someone smarter than me would get it. Smarter than me too. Jeez. (laughs) The official investigation into Cindy's death was closed in July of 1989. And there was a coroner's inquest um, to determine Cindy's cause of death. Over 80 witnesses testified in what became the longest and most expensive inquest 
in British Columbia. Uh, an entomologist took the stand to say that Cindy's body had probably been where it was found since June 2nd, 1989, meaning that there's a week where her whereabouts remained unaccounted for. So by the time she went missing and the time they said her body was there, there was like a week in between. And following testimonies, the jury of this inquisition or whatever said that she had died on an unknown event and therefore classified her death as undetermined. Bullshit. One last point is she had blocking on her left side. So like, like where the blood had pooled on her left side and it was post-mortem lividity. That's what that's called. It's like when you die, you know, if you die in a certain yeah, position, yeah. blood rushes there. But she had been found lying on her right side. So she was likely moved after her death. Well, yeah. Uh, and if she had died by suicide, unless like some person found her body and moved it, I mean. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. Huh. So that's kind of still the case of, you know, was this poor woman harassed for six years and then murdered? Which is horrifying. Yeah. Like, imagine being in that kind of state of fear and always like. For six years. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. So that is the story of James. Well, I hated it. Yeah, it's pretty awful. But you did a great job. So thank you. Thanks. (laughs) No problem. Um, All right, let's lighten this up. Please. So, first things first, this isn't an ad because we don't get paid, (laughs) but this is my, and that's why we drink glass. I don't know if you can tell. They're another podcast. They're super popular, super famous. Um, So, I'm drinking out of their cup. (laughs) And I just got a new whiskey today, and I don't. I had the name of it in my head. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. They're like spiced something and they're really good. Ooh, I am not a fan of whiskey. I generally only like clear liquor. Gin is my liquor of choice. Yeah. But you're gross. I want to like whiskey because people who like it like really like it. And it seems like it'd be like a good like sip in, you know, like I want to like it. It seems yeah. like it would be good, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I um yeah. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just need to like figure out what this is called because it's now driving me insane. Oh, the um, brewery? Yeah. I thought it was like spiced room or something, but um I don't know. Anyways, it's really, really good. (laughs) I have never had it before. And I was like, oh, I should try this today. And I did. And it's phenomenal. Nice. And I've been having it with cherry Coke. Oh, that sounds good. It is really good. I love me some cherry Coke. Me too. Uh, You guys have cherry Coke there? 
Yeah. <gasps> That's awesome. That makes me happy for you. <laughs> cherry Coke is really good. <laughs> I do. I really enjoy Cherry Coke. Okay. <clears throat> Anyways. <laughs> so like I said, this is kind of a cheat episode for me because I was tired of the doom and gloom. <laughs> so we're going to... Aren't be- we all? <laughs> <laughs> so after that doozy, we are going to... Read some funny stories. Yay! So, first off, John Joseph Merlin was the inventor of roller skates. And he never practiced stopping before (laughs) he debuted his roller skates. And so he ended up smashing into a huge mirror. Oh, no. That's seven years of bad luck. Picture this. <laughs> it's the 1760s. And he's about to debut his roller skates at a fancy masquerade party. <laughs> oh, no. As his costume, he donned his roller skates and a violin. And began to skate around the party playing the instrument. Oh, no. Although well-known as an inventor and musician, Joseph Merlin was not a good skater. (laughs) He could not control his speed or command his skates to go in the desired direction. And wildly crash-landed into a huge and expensive mirror, which was back then 500 euros or pounds oh <gasps> back he's, in 1760 oh no he smashed it to bits severely wounded himself broke his violin and sent roller skating technique back to the drawing board yeah i feel like nobody would want to try it after that <laughs> can you like <laughs> I mean, whatever I would roller skate at, like, the roller skating parties, I mean, I would stop by crashing into the wall, but <laughs> it's a wall, not a mirror. So, the mirror in today's currency is about $100,000. Oh, my God. So, he was just, like, there lying on the floor, bleeding with his violin in pieces, a smashed mirror all around him, and a room full of people. Now... Jessica, did you do roller skating parties when you were younger, or is no, that just I'm my not, time? I'm not old and ancient like you. Okay, so I that's on that's on my time <laughs> thing. Yeah, we used to do tons of roller skating parties, oh, and you just roller fun. skate to music around the. I saw the sign it was a big song at the time, Ace of Base, so we roller skated that, and then Jessica, they put on a slow song. Oh, and. You'd look for your crush <laughs> and you'd hope that you were around him. And if you were lucky, you got to roller skate holding hands. Did you ever do song. that? Oh, I don't remember. I'm sure I did. I don't remember though. It obviously didn't impact my life significantly, but <laughs> I'm sure I did. I don't know though. Oh gosh. No, I never did that. And I'm really bad at roller skating, rollerblading, whatever the heck it is. I'm really terrible at it. I'm bad at skating. I can't skate. I basically just like <laughs> I basically skate on like the sides of my feet. So my like oh. feet are like 
Why do you do that? <laughs> I don't know. I have really weak ankles, I guess. I don't know. I'm better at rollerblading than I am. I've never been able to roller skate. I'm terrible at everything. So, <laughs> except being funny. True. You are very funny. <laughs> okay. Anyways, the second one is so funny. It's bad. Okay. <laughs> like, it's so bad. It's funny. Um, a group of undercover cops in Detroit posing as drug dealers accidentally met up with another group of undercover cops posing as drug buyers. Oh, no. <laughs> this incident happened in 2017. Basically, a couple of Detroit police officers from the 12th precinct were undercover posing as drug dealers and went to a drug house to try to operate a sting. There they met two buyers who were undercover cops from the 11th precinct. Oh, my gosh. From there, more officers showed up with a search warrant, and things escalated to the point where both groups of cops were shoving each other around and even throwing punches. Oh, my God. It sounds like a cartoon come to life. Like, That's are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, and after the incident, Detroit Chief of Police, James Craig, said it was probably one of the most embarrassing things I've seen in this department. <laughs> like, oh my God. Do you think it was embarrassing, like, because they were fighting each other? Or do you think the fight itself was embarrassing because they were bad? <laughs> I would assume the first one. Um. Just the fact that, like, the egos in the room. Yeah. Like turkeys. This next one is really funny, too. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen <laughs> was tasked with finding a mole in the FBI who was working with the KGB. He was the mole. He was basically tasked to find himself. himself. Oh, no. <laughs> it took me a second. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. He was tasked to find himself. He became an FBI agent in 1976 and spent a few years chilling and gathering counterintelligence on the Soviets for the FBI. Then in 1979, three years later, most likely for financial reasons, he decided to start selling information to the Soviets. Oh. This continued on and off for a while. And then in 1987, Hansen was tasked with looking into all possible security and intelligence breaches within the FBI related to the KGB. <laughs> Do you think he found himself? Um, they eventually <laughs> made a CBS miniseries miniseries about the whole Hansen story. And I'm a, he was eventually caught. Uh, okay. After the FBI paid $7 million to a former KGB agent who had a tape recording of Hansen speaking with another <gasps> KGB agent. Oh, shit. The FBI agents involved only recognized Hansen because he used an offensive quote from Jen George S. Patton about Japanese people. And the <sighs> agents had heard Hansen use it before. So, Yeah. So, so moral of the story is, yeah, don't be racist. <laughs> <laughs> oh what my a God. dingle nut. <laughs> that's the, oh, that's a good one. I like that one. That yeah. was a good one. 
like, come on. <laughs> all right. So this next one is funny, too. They're all funny. They're all freaking hilarious. When President Jimmy Carter visited Poland in 1977, Hansi, or my husband was born, his interpreter mistranslated him multiple times. Oh, no. So his speech made it sound as if he'd left the United States permanently and never was going back. And he wanted to give Poland a hand job. I mean, to each their own with their sexual preferences, but he wanted to know more about the Polish people's desires for the future. But the interpreter translated that as him desiring Poland sexually. Okay, that makes sense. Like confusing the two types of desire. Yeah. And yeah. another quote was, was happy to grasp at Poland's private parts. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> There's a meme about it. And someone's like, imagine being a Polish citizen and you hear the American president say he's here to fuck and he's not leaving. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, this one's so good. One of the popes tried to ban sneezing. I mean, you know, some people Pope Urban, the five, six, seven, the eighth, tried to ban sneezing in the 17th century because he considered it too close to sexual ecstasy. What? <laughs> yeah. I Sneezing doesn't turn me on. I mean, I don't know what he's thinking. <laughs> he thought it was too similar to orgasms. So he banned the sale of tobacco, which was thought to induce sneezing. Tell me you've never had an orgasm without telling me you've never had an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Can oh. you imagine thinking that way and someone sneezes and you two are like the only ones in the room? Yeah. I'm mad. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh gosh the cia made some truly bonkers assassination attempts on fidel castro including trying to kill him with an exploding seashell someone's thinking outside the box they thought that they could use his love of scuba diving to kill him oh well, that doesn't seem too crazy. It kind of makes sense. They plan to hide explosives inside a large seashell and paint it with exotic colors to lure his attention. <laughs> like, a, like a damn fish that likes shiny things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a year after he seized power, the agency spiked the cigars with a botulinum toxin strong enough to kill anybody who put one in their mouth. The cigars were delivered to an unidentified person in 1961, according to the subcommittee, but it's unclear what happened. Because he clearly that. didn't get them. 
The same year, the CIA planned to contaminate one of Castro's diving suits with a fungus <laughs> that would produce a chronic and debilitating skin disease. Ew. In 1960, the CIA planned to sabotage his speeches by spraying his broadcasting studio with a chemical that would make him suffer similar hallucinations to LSD. Other plots included spiking the dictator's cigars with a chemical that would disorient him, hoping he would smoke one before delivering one of his marathon oratory performances. They also tried dusting his shoes with thallium salts, which would have made Castro's iconic beard fall out. <laughs> well, at least yeah. they were being creative. <laughs> and the, the little thing at the bottom says, it's a little known fact that in the 60s and 70s, the CIA was actually run by fucking Wild E. Coyote. <laughs> at one point they were just gonna drop an anvil on his head oh god <laughs> that's so funny oh gosh japan and montenegro were technically at war for 101 years the war officially ended in 2006 did not know about that oh is that it yeah oh okay sorry the first recorded human flight in the UK was that of an English monk who made himself wings, jumped oh. off a tower, glided oh. a bit, and then promptly crashed and broke both of his legs. Can you imagine for the time that he was gliding, he was thinking, oh my god, it worked! Yeah. And then he crashed. Like, I'm a bird! Take that, Icarus! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the story goes... Uh, Aylmer of Malmesbury built himself a pair of wings around the year 1005. Oh. He climbed up onto a tower and jumped off, managing to glide into a headwind for about a furlong, which is roughly 200 meters or 220 yards. Oh. But the headwind was strong and he probably panicked a little bit, so he ended up veering off to the side and crashing. Oh, no. <laughs> He survived the crash, but obviously broke both of his legs, and he had a limp for the rest of his life. Oh, wow. Yeah. He thought he would have been more successful if he made himself a tail. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, this is so funny. In World War I, the Germans disguised a cruise ship as a British warship in order to execute surprise attacks on the British Royal Navy. It worked until the ship accidentally came across the real ship it was disguised oh, no. as. Oh, no. Basically, the Germans said, hey, you know what would be a good idea? Let's take one of our old passenger liners, slap some guns on it, and dress it up like a Navy ship. And... It was, they like really just based it off of the RMS Carmania. And yeah, they met at sea. It's like a Trojan horse gone really bad. <laughs> the members of the real RMS Carmania were like 99.9% .9 sure they weren't looking at a giant mirror. <laughs> so they opened fire and eventually they sank the German ship. 
Um, the best part is it's reported that another German ship was actually nearby and got the imposter's distress call. But when they showed up, they weren't able to determine which ship was which. So they just <laughs> turned around and left. <laughs> it's like, fuck this shit. We're going home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not my circus, not my monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> the definition of. <laughs> oh my God. I love these. These are good. Yeah. Oh, this one looks bad. This one looks like a doozy. <laughs> At the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis, the marathon was an absolutely chaotic disaster. Pretty sure I've heard about this one before. First off, the entire course was very dusty. Yes, okay. And breathing in that dust caused all kinds of injuries. This is so chaotic, this story. I love it. So, where did you say this was again? Uh, in St. Louis. So, we pronounce it St. Louis. Well, you <laughs> go fuck yourself. I know. St. Louis, Missouri, right? I don't know. Just in the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis. I mean, it makes sense for it being super dusty. Yeah, St. Louis. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> I knew a person named Louis or Louis, and I never knew which one it was. And I was like too far gone to ask him because like <laughs> it was like months later. And I just I would never say his name because I was so scared I was gonna say the wrong one. <laughs> it's funny because I'm like a very in person, I'm like a very shy person. Like I'm very much an introvert over an extrovert uh-huh and if i don't know somebody's name i just like other people are like i'm embarrassed to ask it's been too long and i'm like yo what's your name <laughs> like i'm very upfront about it <laughs> like, i know man there's name. a certain time period where i'm like this, that ship has sailed i can't ever ask their name ever again yeah. <laughs> i gotta figure it out in other ways yeah our neighbors we know their dogs names but not their names <laughs> friends have that issue they know the kid my friends have kids and they know their neighbor's kid's name and they know yeah. their neighbor's husband's name but they don't know the wife's name and they've talked to him like a bajillion times so they're like we can't we can't ask what her name is we've we've already yeah. <laughs> it's too far gone oh i would just be like yo can you put your name and number in my phone I said that they need to have someone come over and like when they're out, go out there and like introduce themselves. Like, oh hey, I'm so and so's mom. Like, blah, blah, blah. yeah. But yeah. Anyway, continue with Anyways. your story. Sorry, Olympics. Okay. So, first of all, the entire course was super dusty, so that caused injuries, including one runner who was hospitalized with hemorrhaging after oh, the God. dust tore his esophagus and stomach lining. Oh my gosh. The organizer of the race purposely withheld water in order to test the effects of dehydration. So the whole thing was a nightmare from the start. The guy who finished first, Fred Lors, got terrible cramping and had to be picked up in a car that drove him to the finish line. Oh, no. He jumped out of the car and jogged across the finish line, um, confusing people into thinking he'd won. He claimed he did it as a joke. The second place finisher, Thomas Hicks, had been given an injection of rat poison and egg whites as a supposed performance enhancer, along with some brandy. He collapsed during the race and collapsed again right after he crossed the finish line, 
And since Lors was disqualified, Hicks got the gold. Why would they think poison would enhance anything? I don't know. Other than death. <laughs> can I can I share screen? I'm gonna share my screen. Oh. <gasps> Host disabled participant screen sharing. <laughs> Turn it on, bitch. <laughs> I have a picture to show you. It's really funny. Okay, try it now. <laughs> screen. Can you see my screen? I can. <gasps> Look at this meme. 1904 <laughs> Olympic judges awarding the gold medal for the marathon and Fred Lortz after driving to the finish line. <laughs> That's very hilarious. Use that meme. Uh, we'll use that for our <laughs> post this week so you can see it. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, my gosh. That's good. Uh, I like that. Oh, that was great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The fourth place finisher, Felix Carvajal de Soto, was a Cuban national who raised money to attend the Olympics by running the entire length of Cuba. Oh, he gambled away all the money when he arrived in the U.S. and showed up for the race in dress clothing. Thankfully, another runner Let's used see. a knife to cut his pants into shorts. <laughs> and he and he stopped at a roadside orchard for a snack during the race, but the apples were rotten, so he was struck with stomach cramps and had to sleep it off. That was the, a successful race day, I think. <laughs> the best part about all of this was that there wasn't much notable, wasn't much notable about their third place finisher. He just kind of... <laughs> ran the race <laughs> he just did it yeah <laughs> yep oh my gosh that's <laughs> hilarious um da, da, da. okay so this next one his name is juan pujol garcia also known as agent yarbo was a Spanish national who hated the Nazis so much that he volunteered to spy for them, but actually spent the whole time spying for the British. Oh, double agent action. For a year, he sent the Nazis false information about British military operations and strategic locations, despite the fact that he had never even been to England. <laughs> He was just hanging out in Lisbon and making everything up. That's hilarious. Yeah. Good on him. He almost blew his cover when he said that Scottish people are obsessed with wine. Oh, do Scottish people not like wine? Oh, I'm assuming they like whiskey. Oh, but they can like wine too, can't they? Oh. <laughs> He had been successfully tricking the Nazis for a whole year before he finally contacted M15 and was brought to London. Once there, he had all the resources of, is it M15 or M15 or MI5? MI5? Like oh. Mission Impossible? I want to say it's M15. Anyways, I don't care. And he was even a better <laughs> spy. <laughs> And he was a better spy than before, having invented 27 completely fictional agents, each with their own personality and writing style, to create a fuller illusion. Ooh. He even provided real intel to the Nazis about a military convoy, but timed it so that it would arrive too late to be actually useful. 
so the Nazis would think, hey, it got here too late, but he was spot on. <laughs> so it worked perfectly. Lovely. Oh, it is yes. MI5. It stands for Military Intelligence Section 5. Oh, and here I am with like, I Google anyways. It. In 1944, he received an MBE from the British government, faked his own death, <laughs> which he was successful with for 36 years. Oh my gosh. Retired and went to live out the rest of his days in Venezuela. But he deserves it. You have yeah. Venezuela. Have it. So for those of you that are on our YouTube, I have something to show you. Okay. Oh, so we have this beautiful meme segment here. You want to <laughs> fight the Nazis? Apply to British intelligence. You don't know anything about Britain? You get rejected by the British intelligence. <laughs> Imply another three times and you still get rejected. You make a false identity as a Spanish fascist. Apply to the Nazis to be a spy. Send the Nazis information from British newspapers. The Nazis accept you as a spy and send you equipment. You keep sending the Nazis British propaganda Britain intercepts the messages and believes that there's a spy. Oh, no. Britain has a manhunt for you, but you're in Portugal. MI5 realizes and invites you to be a spy. Woohoo! <laughs> Send the Nazis actual intel, but too late for them to actually do shit on it. <laughs> the Nazis are thrilled with the accurate <laughs> intelligence, despite the fact that it's late. They want to uh, they want to speed up comms to get intel on time. They send you their most advanced code book. <laughs> Hand the code book straight to MI5. The Germans are getting super suspicious. So send the Germans accurate info about D-Day at 3 a.m. The German radio operators are asleep. Berate the Germans for being absolute fucking idiots. Send more D-Day until as it is happening, but actually too late to act on. The info is so accurate and they see it as their fault. The Nazis now believe you even more now. Listen to Nazi radio near the war's end. The Nazis give you the Iron Cross Award. And Britain gives you an MBE from King George the Sixth himself. That's hilarious. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> That's so funny. Isn't that hilarious? Do you see this next one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. I feel like I should be dead now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's do like a couple jokes. I think this is a long one. So let's do just like a yeah. couple jokes. I loved that though. That was great. That, was, that awesome. was awesome. I loved that. Okay. So these are from my friend Maddie. Okay. Who shows teeth how to chew? Tooth fairy? School teethers. Ah. Um. <laughs> I don't, I'm probably gonna butcher this one, but what? Um, how did the dentist become a lobotomist? Drilled up too far. He slipped. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I like that one. Why did the old lady cover her mouth with her hands when she sneezed? To not spread germs. To catch her false teeth. Ew. Okay, two more. Okay. What kind of concerts do kids with braces go to? Oh gosh. Uh I don't know what. Heavy metal. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) And finally, what is a dentist's favorite dinosaur? What? A flossoraptor. <laughs> I love those. Thank you to your coworker. <laughs> she has a whole ass book on them. <laughs> I love it. And if you want more of that amazing humor, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you would like to rate and review us, you can do so on Spotify and Apple. Yay. And thanks for tuning in. We look forward to bringing you two new stories next week. Bye. Bye.